Hey, uh, hello, Desert Springs Bible Church. Good to be here. Good to be here with you all. Uh, I'm from Heritage Church. We've had a good long-standing relationship with you all, uh, partnering in, in various ways. In fact, your pastor, Pastor Caleb, is at, at Heritage Church bringing the word. So that's what they call in the biz a pulpit swap. So that's what we're doing here today. So so, uh, so happy to be here with you all and joining you in your series, Parents These Days, right? And so thinking about parenting and uh, as I'm, I've, been, I've been thinking and reflecting on this time here together, uh, just one of the things that just hits me real hard is that parenting is so hard. Parenting is really, really difficult. Uh, yes, that's right. Can I get an amen? Uh, so it's, it's really, and if I'm honest, after some serious consideration, I've decided it's the hardest thing I have ever done. Uh, so in, in many ways, what today is going to look like is me vomiting all my failures up here uh, onto you as a parent. And, uh, because I'm in, a, I'm in an interesting transition in life as a, as a parent and with my children. Uh, we, we have three kids, two boys and a girl. And my son is, my oldest son is out of the house. He's working for an IT company. And he's getting married in November, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, uh, I've done nothing so, uh, to, to make, that, make that happen. He's, he's a great kid. And then um, our second son, uh, we just moved him to ASU. So he's starting college there. And then my daughter's 16 and at, a junior at Horizon. And so we've been in this transition as parents, launching our kids out into life, which just, has all, it's just, just creates all sorts of emotions for us. You know, on one hand, we're like, oh, we did it. And the other hand, we're just like, aw. You know, we just miss our, miss our kids. So it's just a really, really challenging, difficult thing. And I've been thinking about, like, what makes parenting so hard, so difficult? And I think there's, there's lots of uh, ingredients to that. Uh, the, the culture in which we live perhaps makes parenting really hard. Um, there's just the disposition of our kids and those relational dynamics and all of that stuff. And, you know, hormones and all sorts of things make parenting hard. But... As I was thinking about, like, what makes parenting hard, um, the Lord brought my mind to uh, a, a time uh, and place right when we were first parents. We had our first kid, Gabe. He was an infant. He was literally like three months old, if not younger than that. And I remember we had some friends over to the house, and so we let them have our room, and we were in one room, my wife and I, together with Gabe in his crib as an infant. And it was a rough night. It was a rough night. He just was not sleeping well and stuff and was keeping us up. And he would cry and then go back to sleep. And just as we were falling back to sleep, he'd wake up and cry again. So just exhausting. And I, I remember so vividly that around probably 2 in the morning, he was screaming his head off. And I just, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a young dad. I'm 23 years old. And I sit up in bed in the middle of the night as he's crying. And I go, Gabe, shut up! Now... I don't mean to brag. <laughs> that was the best I had to give my son there that night. And I, I, uh, my, my, my wife was obviously really, really impressed with me. Um, and I realized really at that moment, and I've, I've carried that on to today, one of the biggest reasons parenting is so hard is because of me. Because I am so self-absorbed and so selfish. One of the th reasons parenting is so hard is because I am the problem. 
And so we go to places in Scripture that talks about parenting, like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's really built this wonderful, beautiful case for uh, the fact that, that, that Jesus came, that he is the Son of God, that he died on a cross and rose again. Uh, And that that transforms us and it transforms our community as a church and it transforms our families as we're centered on now this, this love that we have. We're trying to figure things out and this is what he's addressing here. And he says now as he's talking to the household, to the families... He, he talks, uh, he gets to parents, and he says in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That word fathers there uh, is actually a, it's just a way for him to say parents, uh, they, have, they have masculine and feminine and, and neutral terms and stuff in the Greek language. And so that just simply means parents don't stir up anger in your children. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. Other, other translations say don't provoke anger in your children or don't exasperate your children. You ever heard that word exasperate? And the parents in the room at this moment are like, hold up. Who's exasperating who here? Right? I mean, if we think back on this, we're like, wait a minute. I feel way more exasperated by my children. What is going on here? And I, I look at this, I'm like, wait a minute. Did I, did I go around and sort of maliciously stir up anger in my children, poking them and prodding them, walking them around, trying to make their life miserable? No, they did that to me. <laughs> and yeah, there's probably times where I purposely you know, stirred up a little bit of anger because I was frustrated with them or whatever. But usually, most of the time, if I think back on having kids, especially little kids in the house, I'm just trying to keep the peace. I just want everybody to get along. I just want some quiet. I'm not stirring up anger in my kids. So I had to think, like, what, is, what does that look like? When did I stir up anger in my kids? I think we can do it on purpose. But from my experience... I actually stir up anger in my kids because I'm selfish and I'm lazy. And as a parent, it's really easy to just take the path of least resistance. And so there's all sorts of ways where I have shown my selfishness and my laziness um, as, as a parent. And maybe you can relate to that a little bit too. Here's here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I or you or any of us are generally lazy, right? We're hardworking people. Like we've got goals and we're going after them and, you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to make ends meet and and we're we're hardworking people. But it is very, very tempting to take the path of least resistance with our kids and just try to get by. And so um, I want to encourage you this morning Again, I'm sharing some of the, the things that I've, I've done wrong, and, I'm, and honestly, like every one of these, I'm sharing my just personal stuff here that I've done wrong, and maybe along the way, you can pick it up and go, yeah, man, I can relate to that, and so you scribble that down. If I say something, you're like, uh, nah, I don't really relate to that, or that seems really heavy, maybe just put it aside, maybe keep that uh, in, in, in the back of your mind, but I don't want to burden you and overwhelm you. I simply want to just, just share with you some of the ways that I've been lazy 
as a parent, and in doing so and being lazy, I've actually stirred up anger in my kids without even really knowing it. So, how do we provoke our kids? How have I stirred up anger in my children? Well, I think we provoke our kids when we ignore. When we ignore opportunities to spend time with our kids. I think it's really easy for me to convince myself that I need me time. Whether it's after a long day of work and I just want to come home and I just want to put my feet up. And I got to tell you, the the stage of life that my kids are at now, I walk home, I walk through the door, and there's nothing. There's silence. There's, and, I, and I remember back to the days when they were this big, and I would open the door, and they'd just come running, Dad, I miss that now. But I've ignored opportunities to spend time with my kids. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to overwhelm you with that, but I think there are these opportunities. And you know when they come. Like, you know when, you, when those opportunities, here's the opportunities I'm talking about. It's the ones that you see. It's the ones that you happen to look up and they're doing something or whatever. Or maybe they're even asking you to, to join them in something. And it's this opportunity you see go by and it comes your way and you're like, mm, nah. Go back and it goes by. We, uh, we ignore our kids. We provoke them when we ignore opportunities to spend time with them. And I'm not saying that you need to spend all your time and energy with them. But what's the next small little opportunity that you can take to spend time with your kids? And we'll get there in just a few minutes. Um, we also provoke our kids when we ignore the symptom behind the behavior. Let me, let me tell you what I mean there. Um, you ever been in a store and your kids decide to throw a temper tantrum? Oh, no? No, okay. Yeah, that's just, that's just me. I think it's in the contract or something for... For kids, like it's in their charter of behaviors and stuff. Like, must throw at least five temper tantrums over the course of my life in a grocery store. So here's, here's that, you know, that goes down and, and it's, it's embarrassing as a parent. And it's, it's in this public place, you know, you're in Target. You've got all sorts of stuff in the, in the grocery cart already. So you're like pot committed to the endeavor. And, uh, but then your kids, they just decide that they're just going to start acting up. And it just starts to spiral out of control. And pretty soon you've got this hostage negotiation on your hands. And you're threatening things that you can't even legally follow through on. Like, have you ever done that? Just like, you know what? I'm leaving. Oh, you want to stay here? Okay, well, goodbye. Enjoy yourself. And no, I've done that and I've said that. You know why I've never followed through on actually doing that? Because I'm afraid of the police. (laughs) You, You can't legally do that. So don't threaten it, right? But we're in those situations and we just want to pull our hair out and our kids are out of control. We start like addressing the behavior and then it escalates and pretty soon you're at a point where you're like, I don't even know what infraction I'm disciplining anymore, right? Maybe that's just me. And what I realized is that, gosh, in those moments when it spirals out of control and we're like, how do we get here? What, what happened here? What if how we got here was actually my fault? What if there's a symptom of the behavior that I just chose to ignore? Let me give an example of this. With my kids, I found, especially two of my kids, they're acting up even, even, even now, even as young adults, teenagers, and they're being snarky and snippy with me. I'm just like, here, have a granola bar, and then we'll talk about this in 10 minutes. And it changes them. They're completely changed by that. So perhaps one of the symptoms is just like they, they're hungry. 
Or maybe you decided to blow through nap time because you think you're awesome. I don't know. Like, I've done that, right? And so we ignore these symptoms. And maybe, maybe they're feeling insecure about something. Maybe something happened at school that is in the back of their minds and they haven't told you about it. And so, like, we need to dig in as parents the symptoms of those and, and stop ignoring the symptom and just deal with the behavior. Now, the reason could be that they're being bratty and strong-willed and, and, and we've got to address that as well. But we have to at least take a step back and go, okay, what's actually going on? How did this start in them? Uh, I think we would, we would uh, avoid a lot of those altercations. It's complicated. But we have to at least ask, before I make this a disciplinary issue, did I ignore a need that led to this monkey poop fight that we're in now? <laughs> All right. Uh, we also um, provoke our kids when we compare. When we compare ourselves to other parents. That's really hard. Parenting right now is, is really, really challenging for all sorts of reasons. One of, the, one of them is that it's so easy for us to go online to look around to see how other parents are doing. And we see these little snapshots. And I think, I think the connectivity that we have and the social media and all that stuff, it's wonderful. It's great stuff. But it's also just another opportunity for us as people in general, but also as parents, to look into the lives, to peer into the lives of other people and, 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 and assume that they've got it perfect. Right? Because we don't, we don't take a snapshot of the, of the horrible fight we're having in Target. We have to set it up. We have to stage it and take the photo between fights. Um, and so we, but we see that and we start to just, we, we get bullied a little bit by, by this. And, and, and we start to hear these lies in our minds like, man, I'm, just, I'm a bad parent. I don't have it together like it looks like they do. And we just assume that's their reality and we compare their reality to our reality and it doesn't line up. And that's where we get discouraged as parents. We gotta stop comparing ourselves to other parents. Or how about when you go back to that scenario in the store, when you're, um, uh, you know, things are getting out of control and out of hand, it's embarrassing, isn't it? And we start to look around at other people and we start to parent our kids based on what we're gonna look like as parents. The temptation to do that is really, really strong. You ever parented in public differently than you do in private? That's a problem. Right, so we, we compare ourselves and we exasperate our kids, we provoke our kids to anger because they see it, they're not dumb. They see what's going on. Or we compare our kids to other kids. Our kids to other kids. When we say, and I've, I've made the mistake of doing this, I'm not proud of this. Why can't you be like your brother? Look, he's sitting there and he's just hanging out and he's having a good time. Why can't you be like that? Man, when we, when we do that, when we compare our kids to one another, we're creating this, this false standards in their lives. We've got we've to recognize that our kids are unique, that they're different from one another. Even in the same household, they think differently, they, they, they enjoy different things. We have to treat each one of them individually. We also provoke our kids when we forget. My laziness, man, I forget. I forget that my kids are not my peers. They're not my peers. Here's how I know that I was treating my kids, even really little, small, like four years old, as my peer. I, I would be shocked when they disobeyed me. 
You ever been surprised at your kid's own junk and their own sin, right? The mess that they're in. You ever been surprised by that? Here's kind of how that goes down. Son, in my benevolent wisdom, I tell you, go to your room. No, I don't want to. I hate you. (gasps) How dare you? I am your father. I love you and I provide for you. How dare you speak to me thusly? And then we go into this... And then, and then all of a sudden, I'm just ripped down to his level of speaking, of interacting, and I get emotional into it, and he's emotional, or she's emotional, and we're just rah, 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 all because I forgot. They're not my peer. Like, their ability to process things in the situation is, is different from my ability to do that. But it's easy for us to let our emotions get dragged into things, and we forget that our kids, they don't even mean 75% of the things that they say. You know, we try to rationalize with him. Oh, you hate me, huh? Well, does that mean that you want me to die and go off and leave forever? Well, 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 you know, they don't know what to do with that information. They don't know what they're talking about. We forget that our kids aren't our peers. We also forget that our kids' brains aren't fully developed. You ever ask your kid, what were you thinking? (laughs) And what's the response? I don't know. <laughs> it's so frustrating as a parent. You just want to. Ah. I don't know. Here's why. Here's why I want to explain to you why they say that. There's a physiological reason why they say, I don't know. And it has to do with the prefrontal cortex in the brain. You ever heard about this gem here? Prefrontal cortex. This, this, this information I'm about to give you, it revolutionized my understanding of students when I was in student ministries, and it, it, it changed the way I, I parent and see my kids. But there's this whole section of the brain right here called the prefrontal cortex, and it is responsible for a ton of stuff. It gives us the ability for empathy, insight, response flexibility, emotion regulation, Body regulation, you have a kid, it's just always like this. (laughs) Morality, intuition, attuned communication, fear modulation. I want to, and here's the thing. This is fascinating to me. The prefrontal cortex that's responsible for all this stuff is not fully developed until the age of 25. Yeah. So if you're in here right now, and you're 25 or under, you have an underdeveloped brain. (laughs) Now that's not license for the rest of you to make fun of those people as you're walking up. Your brain is small. No, don't do that. That's not what that means. That's not why I'm saying this. It just helps us understand that when our children are acting and behaving in a certain way, when we say, what were you thinking, and they, they they weren't. And when they say, I don't know, they don't. I want to point out two specific things here. The uh, prefrontal cortex is responsible for the ability to determine the outcome of decisions. Right? So if I'm standing on the top of a roof of a house about to jump, my prefrontal cortex, because I'm in my 40s, says I will probably uh, break something or at the very least twist an ankle or a knee or something like that. My 18-year-old son stands on the top of a roof and goes, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) There's girls watching, so. (laughs) 
and he, he, he does not have the physiology. It's developing. It's developing. So, it's, I mean, it's in process, right? I mean, he's not a complete idiot. But the ability, it's not even there. Or how about emotional response? The prefrontal cortex is responsible for um, giving us the ability to, to look at a person and rightly discern what they're feeling, the emotion that they're putting out with their face and their body. And so your kids might, might not be able to interpret exactly what you're doing or saying. You might look surprised and, and be surprised, and think, they think that you're mocking them. Or you might um, be excited about something, and they uh, interpret that as anger. So there's this, there's this relational dynamic that we've got to understand here with our kids that they don't even have the capacity. And I don't know about you, I didn't think that this would happen to me when I was a teenager. I've forgotten what it's like to be a teenager. I've forgotten what it's like to have an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex. So we've got to have grace with our kids in this and not shame them for being underdeveloped, just understanding that that's where they're at. We also forget that our kids' needs change over time. Our kids' needs change over time. I got this uh, a while ago from uh, Dr. Tim Kimmel, um, who wrote Grace-Based Parenting, uh, and it's a really complicated graph. I hope that uh, you'll be able to read it properly. <laughs> it's so simple, but it was so helpful for me to see this, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. Um, this is the span of a, of a child's life as far as you being their parent. So right over here is infancy, and then over here on this end of the screen is when we launch them into life as young adults, right? And the relationship changes. So at the beginning when they're infants, all we're doing is protecting them. Protecting them from themselves, protecting them from us, from the world, feeding them, changing them, all that stuff. But over time, as our kids grow, we start preparing them a little bit for what's ahead. And then pretty soon, uh, as, as we, we go on in life, it's all preparing, very little protecting. It's important for me to understand and see that as a parent because sometimes I would stir my kids up to anger when I would uh, be preparing them when I should have been protecting them. Or later on in life when I was protecting them when I should have been preparing them. So we, we, we forget that our kids' needs change over time. So those are just some ways that I have sort of passively, aggressively um, had these failures as a parent that I wanted to share with you, the ways that I've provoked my kids. But it doesn't end there. Paul says, don't, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger, but, but bring them up in the discipline and an instruction of the Lord. And it's interesting that he compares those two, this provoking to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction, because the implication there is that um, it's the opposite of provoking them to anger. It's leading them towards grace and truth and towards life. And for followers of Jesus Christ, we know that this discipline and instruction, it begins its foundation on the gospel, the truth that, that God loves us, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, that he rose again and that he's coming again. And in him we have life and we have relationship with God the Father through his name. That's the basic truth that we're leading our children in and we're following Jesus as, and we're, we're, we're bringing our kids along in those truths. Now, not everybody here is a Jesus follower. I'm so glad that you're here and this church is so glad that you're here and we recognize that you're still looking and searching and trying to figure out this whole church and Jesus thing and that's wonderful. Um, but wherever we're at in, in life, there are, there are these values, there's these truths that we're driving at 
And the thing that we've got to recognize from this passage, Paul is making really, really clear, is that as parents, we are our children's spiritual guide. We are the ones who lead our kids towards truth, towards right and wrong, towards the values that we hold to as parents. That is on us. You are your child's primary spiritual leader. And there's a lot of other voices trying to lead our kids in this world, but take heart in the fact that you are their primary leader and we get to step into that as parents. So that's what Paul is talking about. So for this last little bit, I want to settle on just some three skills that I've learned over, the, over just the course of being a parent, not just from myself, but from other people as well uh, that I want, to, I want to share with you. Again, I don't want to burden you with these things, so take what you want from this and you can leave other pieces to the wayside if, if you need to focus on one thing or the other. So three things, look, listen, and live, which incidentally is also good advice for crossing railroad tracks, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about. Look, look for opportunities to spend time with your kids. Get on the floor with your kids, because your kids live on the floor, right? That's their world. Now, as they grow and get older, they don't so much anymore. But um, even, I even find that with my older kids. Like, they're on the floor. They're playing video games. They're laying around. They're watching all sorts of things. Get on the floor with your kids. And I mean that in a, in a specific, like a literal, but also a metaphorical sense. Like, you might need to literally get on the floor with your kids. Like, five minutes more this week. I'm not talking about, like, every time they come to you. Will you do this with me? Having to, like, say yes. The speaker on Sunday said, I've got to do this, so, you know. No, it's saying yes, what, uh, and you've got to have boundaries in this, but say, yeah, you know what, I can do that for five minutes. Look for ways to say yes to spend time with your kids, because that's how you show love to your children, with time. So get on the floor with your kids. Do something they like to do. I'm not talking about taking them and dragging them to the grocery store with you. Although that's good and that's important that it is time together. That's not the kind of time I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding ways that you can connect with them and things that they like to do. Look for opportunities to spend time with your kids. Your child needs to know that they are secure in your love. And the best way that you can show them that is with time. Look for opportunities to teach your child important values. Proverbs 22.6 says, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. There's this reality that we are the greatest influence in our kids' lives. And whatever, whatever foundation we are laying right now, they're going to go in that way. They're going to find their way back to it if they stray, Lord willing. But we have a huge influence as parents. So look for opportunities to teach your child important values. You know where's a great time to do this? In the car. I don't know, maybe it's just my kids, but well, I don't know what it was about them, especially when they were younger. They, you know, they're kind of all over the place, but as soon as we put them in the car, they're just, use that chance, use that opportunity, parents, especially if you have younger kids, to turn off the, turn off the radio or, or whatever and talk to your kids and dig around in their lives and ask them questions, right? Get to know them and and talk about these things, the, the things that are important to you and the values that you and your family have. Uh, also look for opportunities to give responsibility. This is terrifying as a parent. But it's something we got to do in that spirit of preparing them for life. 
is responsibility. Responsibility is really, really important. And I'm talking about privileged responsibility. I'm not talking about chores. I'll give you a responsibility. Take the trash out. No, I'm not talking about that. That's important too. Like we got to have jobs and be responsible. I'm talking about privileged responsibilities. Things like um, at an age-appropriate time, letting them stay home by themselves for a little bit. Or, or cell phone. Or eventually car. I've gone through that with all three of my kids now. That's a terrifying thing as a dad to hand the keys over to let them go out and drive a high-powered machine out, out on the roads where there's a bunch of crazies out there. But that sense of responsibility is huge for us, all of us, including our children. They need to know that you trust them and they need to have the freedom to fail when you give them those responsibilities. Be ready for that, parents. Be ready for the failure and don't be shocked when it happens. Give them that freedom to fail within the proper bounds of wisdom. Every kid's different, but we need to look for ways to give responsibility. We need to listen. We need to listen to people in our lives who love us and our kids. We need to stop listening to voices out there who don't give two cents about you or your kids. You've got to listen to people in your life who are encouraging to you, love you, and love your kids. And we need to listen to our kids. We've got to be students of our children, understand what makes them tick, understand how they feel loved, how they feel rejected, what do they deal with, what are they good at, what are, what are some wonderful gifts that God has given them. We need to understand our children and stop assuming that we know what they're thinking. Ask questions. So in that car ride, you're talking to them, and you can ask things like, how does that make you feel? Don't assume you know how it makes them feel. You'll be surprised by these answers. How does that make you feel? Why do you think you feel that way? Get really good at asking your kids questions about things. And then listen to allow your child to express him or herself without fear of condemnation because your child needs the freedom to be different. Not that we're going to let them be rude or disrespectful, but maybe they are, and you can deal with that as well, but you've got to listen to what's behind that, what's behind what's happening right now. And then live. They need to see you live out what you say you believe. People, especially kids, can sniff that a mile away if you say one thing, but you're doing another, they get that when the two don't match up, something's wrong, something's off. So parents, we cannot say, do as I say, not as I do. We need to say, do as I say and as I do. We need to live out what we say we believe. And in that, they need to hear you say sorry. Because you will need to say sorry. We need to have the humility and the grace and the maturity to circle back to our kids regularly when we've sinned against them, when we've let our anger get out of control, or we've been apathetic, or whatever it is, and go back to them and say, hey, I said this earlier, or I did this earlier, and that was wrong of me. Will you forgive me? And then you have, the, you have this wonderful moment where your kids have the opportunity to forgive you and reconcile that relationship. Romans 12 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people or live peaceably with all. And we read that if we've been around the church and we're like, oh yeah, that, that applies to the church. 
It does. It applies to everybody, though, including your kids. And so in the spirit of living peaceably, have the guts to circle back with your kids and say sorry and ask them for forgiveness. You are modeling repentance. You are modeling what it looks like to restore a relationship that was fractured, and that's a beautiful, God-honoring thing. So, I leave you with this encouragement. I want to encourage you uh, just with the reality once again that parenting is hard. Grandparenting is hard. Even, even helping other people with their kids, it's hard. It's hard, but you're doing something you've never done before. Can we all just like sigh a, a, a breath of relief a little bit? Like, I've never done this before. Even if you have older kids and you've got a younger kid, like that kid's different. It's, that kid is unique with all sorts of challenge, different challenges and, and joys and struggle and all sorts of things. You've never done this before. So cut yourself some slack and recognize that we are all in this together and, and encourage one another and, and that we don't have to do this alone. It's one of the reasons why we gather together. It's one of the reasons why we, um, your church is doing things like uh, this, uh, this workshop and kids pumpkin bash on October 26th. It's going to be right here, October 26th. Your kids are going to have fun with pumpkins and doing all sorts of stuff while you're in a workshop with other parents who are admitting, hey, I don't have this all figured out. And so I encourage you to invest some time there. Be involved with that. Take that opportunity to just go together and be with some other parents and learn together. And this week, maybe you want to take one of two steps. Maybe in the spirit of protecting your child, you want to look for a new opportunity to spend time with your child. Whatever that looks like. Even if it's five, ten minutes, look for a new opportunity to spend time, to get on the floor, literally or metaphorically, with your child just to connect. Or maybe, and maybe, in the spirit of preparing, you want to look for one new opportunity to hand over some responsibility to give them a little bit of a freedom to fail in something and then parent them and love them through that. So I want to encourage you. I don't want to overwhelm you with this stuff. I don't believe God overwhelms us and to remember that, again, we're in this together, uh, but that God, God's grace covers over our failures and our inadequacies and, and parenting is one of those things where he calls us back to dependence upon him. So would you pray with me? Uh, as we end our time here together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for the parents in the room who feel overwhelmed, who do feel exasperated. Lord, their kids are probably feeling exasperated as well. I pray for peace in their homes. I pray for joy and love, hearts of thanksgiving. God, forgive us for being perfectionists. Forgive us for ignoring, for comparing, and forgetting. But we know that you see, that you remember, that you love, and that you meet us right where we're at. So I pray, God, that your spirit would meet every person here right where they're at, whether they're a parent or not. Lord, in the ways that we interact with the people in our lives, God, we're not going to nail it every time. So we thank you for your grace and your love and that you are a God of chance after chance after chance. 
So we ask, God, that, that, that it is that grace that would compel us forward into this next week as we go out um, into lives with our fa- family and with our friends. In Jesus' name, amen.